This is number two in our abundant series. We are looking at kingdom principles from the book of Ruth. We're going to share our two texts. We're using a text from Matthew. Somebody say, why would you use one from Matthew? Because it directly relates to what Ruth is all about. Ruth has four chapters. Rest is the real subject that we're looking at. Rest has four letters, R-E-S-T. The abundant life is about resting in God. It's about finding a place of shalom. It's about finding wholeness and provision and His blessing and not having to strive or earn in that kind of way to be able to find His favor because He gives it to us. So as we look this morning, we're calling this message The Romance of Redemption. Uh, Ruth is going to meet Boaz today in Ruth chapter 2. Romance really kicks in gear probably about the third chapter, but the the seeds are, are sown and the stage is set. So this morning, let's look and let's get our two texts today from Matthew chapter 11. Hopefully by the end of this series in four weeks, you will have this one in your scriptural toolbox. That's why we take time to recite the word because it's important to get the word, hide it in your heart. The Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 11, your word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Hidden literally means treasured. So I, I give it real prominent place and priority in my life. Notice we're going to look at two words that will stand out here. Everybody say give and find. We, just a quick review to remind you, there is a rest that is given when we meet Christ. And then there is a rest that is found when we learn to walk with Him and follow Him, take up His yoke, put His yoke upon us, His, his, his yoke that is easy and His burden that's light. So notice that as we read this this morning. Here we go, everybody together heartily. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Last verse. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the text that is giving us the, the, the theme, what we're looking for in the book of Ruth, and that is this pursuit of rest. It was lost in the first chapter, because the abundant life was forsaken. Elimelech took his two sons, Malan and Kilion, and his wife Naomi, out of Bethlehem, Judah, which is the house of bread and praise, and they went and dwelt in Moab. All right, let's look at our second our text, our, our message text for today, which is one verse from Ruth chapter 2. Let's read this together. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Let's bow our hearts this morning. Find a posture of submission wherever you're standing. Gracious God, you are mighty God, your everlasting Father. Scripture says that you're called Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. We wouldn't be here, wouldn't have anything apart from you because we know that apart from you we can do nothing, we can be nothing. God, thank you today that you are in this place in the worship. The Bible says that you dwell in the praises of your people. God, thank you today that you came in because you came in with us. You came in uh, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our very being. And as we worship you and lift you up, thank you that your presence is manifest in this place. We look to you and we ask you just to, uh, as Judah plows in the Old Testament, thank you that praise uh, prepares the soil of our souls, that it literally puts the plow down into the hard ground and plows it up in order to make it ready to receive, to make it receptive to the seed that is about to be sown. 
Lord, let our hearts uh, be active and ready and alert, Lord, to receive the seed of the Word of God, which is able to deliver us in every way. God, we thank you today. We acknowledge you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. You're the only teacher. Lord, in the name of Jesus, every personal need in this place, you're aware of it. God, just set hearts at ease right now. Let them sense the rest that they've entered into in this place because of the greatness of our heavenly Boaz, the name of Jesus. And it's your name that we praise and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The presence of the Lord. <clears throat> One thing that I want to communicate to you one thing from last week, a review was that when the abundant life is forsaken, rest is lost. Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, in the time of a famine, it was the judgment of God because of the idolatrous hearts of the people who had left following the God of their fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and had begun to follow the gods of the pagan nations around them. And God visited them with judgment, judgment in the Old Testament uh, for idolatry is always one of four things, war, famine, uh, pestilence, death. And so they're experiencing famine. And I, I related this to you last week to show you that it's applicable to us from the book of Ruth, uh, though we are not in a place of famine. There are places on the planet that are experiencing famine, and whether or not that's the judgment of God in those places is another message. And I can't wrestle that down today. But I just want to say to you that the church... Uh, is, is really what we're speaking to. And it's not just the church in America, it's the church all over the world. It is the church universal, the body of Christ. Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem is the house of bread. Judah, Judah is praise. Elimelech, who forgot who he was, that God was his king and able to provide, in the time of a famine, left the house of bread and praise and took his family into Moab, into a nation, into a group of people that were, were born from a drunken, incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. And the obvious implications are there. I don't have to go back and, and do a lot of review other than just to remind you of the one thing from last week. When the abundant life is forsaken, rest is lost. And so we can be believers but not walking in all that Jesus died for us to have. We can be blood-bought knowing that, we, that our salvation is secure, that if we died right now that we would be in His presence, we would go to heaven. Heaven is our home. We know that. The ticket is there. It's already been stamped. It's stamped with the blood of Jesus. We have no worries about that. But I'm telling you right now that you can walk under the privilege of all that God has called you to walk in and all that Jesus died for you to have. When you walk away from the place where He has called you to trust in Him, in the house of bread and praise. Come on, somebody. This is a picture of the local church. Now, as we go deeper into Ruth chapter 2, I want to show you that Ruth, as we close Ruth chapter 1, she literally, in her profession to Naomi, experienced what we now do as New Testament believers in conversion, repentance, turning from our past, identifying with the cross, saying, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you stay, I will stay, another translation says. Where you live, I will live. Where you die, I will die. That's identification with the cross of Jesus Christ. And there I will be buried. That is baptism. And they went back to Bethlehem, Judea, in the time of the barley harvest, the time of first fruits. It was literally directly linked to what becomes the second major feast in Israel. It's called the Feast of Pentecost. The Old Testament calls it the Feast of Weeks. 
it is seven weeks after Passover. Passover is directly in alignment with the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world because it was Passover celebrated on Friday, the same day that Jesus died. As we roll into the resurrection season, we will see how Passover and and Easter, which is our... I, I could stop and argue technically with that because we really celebrate the resurrection. Easter really is the recognition of, of a spring festival with Ashtar. And, and there's some things that have been sort of clouded along the way in terms of the, the Easter bunny and spring fertility and the blooming flowers and the budding leaves and the birds and the bees and all that kind of stuff are tied up in this fertility cult of Ashtar. And, and that's the reason we, you'll see on everything we print it says Resurrection Sunday because we're celebrating the Lamb who got up out of the ground and who, whose sacrifice was accepted by God who took your sins down with Him and left them buried and then got up in newness of life. And so we celebrate that every time we take someone to the, to the watery, to the watery grave and they bury the old man of the past and they're raised in newness of life in the identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. So Ruth experiences all of that and she rolls back into town with Naomi back to Bethlehem, Judea, the house of bread and praise in the time of the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Passover is Pentecost, seven weeks. It's called the Feast of Weeks. It's, it's well into the planting season and we start to see the first fruits coming up out of the ground and the barley is beginning to grow. And so it, it, it's, it's the picture of what was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them 50 days after the Passover, after Jesus gave His life for us and was resurrected. So 50 days later, Pentecost, Penta, Penta, Pentagon 5, you see Pentecost is 50 so this literally is the Old Testament picture of Ruth receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So here comes the first fruits. Here comes the first fruits of her inheritance. It's the earnest, the down payment of what is yet to come is what the Scripture says in both Ephesians and Corinthians. So when God fills a believer with the Holy Spirit, it's a down payment for all that is yet to come, which is an amazing outpouring of the blessing of God. Some of you that are in real estate, it's, it's related to earnest money. When you put earnest money down on a piece of property, you're saying that this is in good earnest of the rest of the payment that is yet to come. So when God gives you the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it's in earnest. It's a down payment. It's, it, it, it is what is just a foretaste. It is the first fruits of all that is yet to come. Everybody say, mm-mm, good. Because when you really learn how to walk in the, the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, it will radically change your life. It will give you rest in the time of grief and sorrow and discomfort and distress. It will provide for you in time of lack. It will meet your needs when you don't feel like there's a way. He'll become a way in the middle of the desert. Hallelujah. So, just a little bit of review. The one thing this morning, a spirit-filled person, now we're talking about Ruth, is submissive and hungry for the Word and for the things of the Spirit. Read that out loud with me. A spirit-filled person is submissive and hungry for the Word and the things of the Spirit. I want to roll right into this this morning because I, I know what I want to say and I want to get it said. First point out of the shoot: Jesus Christ is our heavenly Boaz. He is our kinsman redeemer. Let's put up the scriptures this morning as we begin in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, buckle your seatbelt. 
Now. I love this. Now. Let me just say from the first, I'm going to stop and comment on one word. We had not even gotten into first verse yet. Everybody say now. now. How many of you know the devil doesn't care what you believe so long as it's not now? So long as you put it in the future or it was in the sweet by and by in the past and a nostalgic look back. The devil doesn't care what you believe so long as you don't believe it right now. So long as you don't believe that God is able to do right now what he said his word and he promised in his word. He doesn't care what you think might happen in the future. He gets scared when you start saying God is able right now to part a sea, to split the waves, to heal the sick body, to provide every need. Come on, somebody. I need some folks to rise up in this place and say, now. Amen. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, now faith. Not yesterday's faith, not tomorrow's faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Come on, help me preach a little bit in this room this morning. I, that's, I'm telling you, I'm off to a good start. I've got, I'm one word down. I have a whole chapter to go. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. I love the King James, the authorized version in this because it says, it doesn't say a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. It says a mighty man of wealth. Now, how many of you know that Jesus is a wealthy man? How many of you know that your kinsman redeemer, your savior, your Messiah, has all of the riches of heaven and earth combined? Job said, all the silver and all the gold is yours, O Lord. Come on, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, 19, it says, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, that's not just something he's going to do because the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, everybody say past tense, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Look, look at your name and say, I'm already blessed. Now, most of the time is we just don't know it yet. We're already blessed. If he is your Savior and he is your Lord, you already have everything you need because he's all you need. Amen. And if we can ever wake up and realize that if I have him, I have everything. Amen. If I have him, I'm in a majority. If I have him, I don't need an army because we are the majority. Help me a little bit this morning. Jesus is a mighty man of wealth. He's called in, in, in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, mighty God. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. Hallelujah. He's a mighty man of wealth. Now notice in this chapter, nobody knows who the kinsman is yet. This is just the history. This is like the narrator telling us. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's. Now notice it's not Naomi's relative, but it's, it's, he's related to Elimelech, which I, I don't want to get bogged down in chasing a rabbit here. Uh, but this has to deal with the whole Leverite law of when a woman's husband dies, then it's the responsibility of the nearest kinsman to take her under his wing so that his seed is not lost in the inheritance and to raise up seed. Okay, And so this is, this is not Naomi's connection, but it's Elimelech's connection. So this gives us a perfect example of, of the one who is called a goel or a kinsman redeemer. This is the picture of Jesus who is our elder brother who is related to us. He is related to us through Adam because he is all man and he is all God at the same time. He is Emmanuel, God in flesh, God with us. All right, verse 2. Now I want you to see this. They don't know who he is yet, but the narrator has told us that he's a mighty man of wealth. He's a worthy, he's worth something. See, too many times worthiness 
is religiously related to morality. And in this sense, the word worthy is totally financial. It's worth. It's talking about somebody who is, he, he's not just, we're not saying that he's in any way immoral, but he, he is, the sense that it's given in this is, means this, this dude has some influence. He has some financial power. So he's a worthy man. Verse 2, I want you to see hard work and providence. Hard work and providence. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now she doesn't know his name yet. She has no idea. They've talked about the potential of a kinsman redeemer being in town, but but Ruth has never heard his name. Ruth has never met him yet. And Naomi knows that there's one out there. In the very same way that a lot of folk are like Naomi, they leave pleasant and come home bitter. And they can sure argue doctrine with you, but they've never actually been in the presence of the one they want to argue about. And, and, and when we can get the presence of God, some folk... It's just a hoot to me who, who want to dot I's and cross T's and, and swallow, uh, you know, gnat or strain at gnats and swallow camels over doctrinal issues and, and then really don't even have any real sense of an appreciation for the presence of the one that they're arguing about. But Ruth is about to actually be in his presence. She's about to get introduced to the one and she says this in faith, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now Ruth leaves home, gets up out of the bed, wakes up evidently on the faith side of the bed and her confession as soon as she leaves the house is, I'm going to go glean some ears in a field somewhere and God's going to cause me to find favor in the field of the one that I'm going to land in. How many of you know it makes a difference how you view your day? It makes a difference how you see your life. And if you can get your life and get your eyes and your faith, make it now faith so that you know that when you get up out of the bed, you're about to go step into finding the favor of God in your life. Whether it's at your job, whether it's financial, whether it's social, whether it's relational, emotional health, physical healing, financial blessing, whatever it is, if you can get up out of the bed and say, I'm going out today and I'm going to tackle this day because I'm going to glean in the field of him in whose eyes I'm going to find some grace. I'm going to find me some favor. Victory Church is committed to being a grace-based everything. The foundation of this thing has to be grace. That means none of us has any corner on it to be able to say, look at me and how perfect I am. The rest of you need to be able to be like I am. No, the only thing we can say is there's only one perfect in this house and his name is Boaz. His name is Jesus. Oh, I'm preaching better than that. Y'all are patty caking this morning. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I, I, I love, this is one reason why I, I quit preaching out of the King James years ago because it uses all of that old Elizabethan English. It says it was her hap to light upon the field, the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Her hap. What the heck does that mean? It was her hap. Well, we, you get a little bit more modern translation. It says she happened. You read the Hebrew and it says her chance chanced. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence, the providential hand, the sovereign hand of God. Come on, somebody. So her chance chanced that day. God 
providentially. She happened, isn't that so good? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of, the, of Elimelech. Now, let me just stop and tell you this real quickly this morning. Because the law of God provided for the poor. As a matter of fact, the book of Deuteronomy tells all of the landowners, don't glean the corners of your fields. So that when those that are homeless and poor, they can come into your fields and there's something left in there for the poor to be able to eat. Now, I'm going to say some things this morning that are not political. I don't in any way intend to, sometimes it may sound Republican, sometimes it may sound Democrat. And that's the reason I want you to know that is because there are biblical ideas on both sides of that aisle. And some of you have a hard time recognizing that. Because you've started to believe and you've believed the lie that our salvation can come through a political party or an ideology. We need a revival. We need a Holy Ghost. Yeah, I'll say it that way. Holy Ghost revival in the United States of America. And a party can't bring it to us. Nor the person that gets in the White House. God's God regardless. The law provided for the poor. Now look at this. The owners of the field weren't to glean the corners of the field or to even go back a second time and glean it again. The leftovers, the leftovers were to be left over for the poor. And so the law provided so that she could go in behind the reapers and be able to gather grain because she was hungry. And how many of you know when you get hungry enough for the things of God, you'll get out there and start searching around. You'll, you'll, you'll go to places you thought you would never have anything to do with. You'll, you'll go down to the mall church and see what they're doing down there because you've heard, you've heard that God is blessing the people down there in a little Bethlehem Judah, in the house of bread and praise. And you've heard that God's given some good crops in some strange places. And you'll be willing to cross some lines you've never crossed before. Let me tell you something. You might make fun of some of these folks that otherwise you never thought you'd be going to their meetings. You might make fun of these TV preachers that are healers. But it's amazing when the doctor says there's no hope how folks will start looking all kinds of places and going, God, I'm willing to get help from wherever you're willing to give it to me, wherever you're willing to bring it to me. We can stop and make fun of those folks, but I have no people in this church who've been healed in meetings, people who've been touched when medicine couldn't fix it. Then Jesus, who is our heavenly physician, stepped in and fixed it. Come on, somebody. Work was involved. Now, this is the part that might sound political. It wasn't just sitting back drawing a check. Ruth had to go do something. She got behind the reapers and, and, and it wasn't the government providing everything. It was the people of God, those who owned the land. It was covenantal Israel. It was the blessing of God on them who left the, something to glean in the fields for the poor. And I, what I just want to tell you right now, this is where we have to wake up and smell the coffee. If the church had been what she was called to be for the last 50 years, we wouldn't have the governmental problems that we do have today. But the government has had to step in because the church hasn't done what she's supposed to. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good because I know it's the truth. Amen. Work was involved. It wasn't merely collecting a check or provision. She had to get up and go get it. But it was still provided for. If she would just go do something, go get it. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in God's providence. I believe in sovereignty. And let me just say this to you. It's amazing how things start coming together in my life when I trust God and I get up and move and I take action and I start working. Unfortunately, in the Bible Belt South, too often, waiting on God is associated with inactivity. 
Waiting on God does not mean that we're just sitting around on our blessed assurance not doing anything. Waiting on God is like the waitress at the table today, the waiter at lunch today at noon when you go get something to eat. They will serve you. They're actively waiting on you. And so when we wait on the Lord, it doesn't mean that I just sit back and just lay down and just just cultivate my deleterious laziness. It means that I'm actively involved in what God has called me to do while I'm waiting on the Lord to bring my provision to me. Man, this is so good. Isn't it amazing to open the Word and see all this stuff that you never saw was there? Thirdly, Boaz's field is the local church. Matter of fact, from the next probably 12 verses, 4 through 15, we're going to see descriptions of the local church. And Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Isn't that cool? Because that's where Jesus came from. This is just so cool when you start to open the Word and you look back at the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. You look back at the Old Covenant and you have New Covenant understanding. And we start to see that Boaz was a type. He was a prophetic symbol, a picture of the heavenly Boaz, Jesus that was to come, the one who would come out of Bethlehem, the one who would rule the nations with a rod of iron, would come from the least of the princes, Micah 5, 2 says. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Now see, that's in a local church right there where the Lord is present. If you're going somewhere and every time you leave you feel like you've been beat up, and you've been abused, you've been a wife of Christ who's been abused by one of the under-shepherds who's just beaten on you every Sunday, then you're not in a good place. Yeah, it, it might be Boaz's field, but somebody needs to be set down in those kinds of places that are beating on the wife of Jesus instead of saying, the Lord bless you. Now, that doesn't mean we are permissive about sin. It doesn't mean that we don't bring adjustment or correction or instruction. But it means even in doing that, you ought to leave. Even if you've been convicted and God caused you to repent, you leave blessed. You leave in a whole new place. You leave in an awareness of the goodness and the grace of God that you did not earn and you did not deserve. The tone of this, the conversation, the exchange is one of blessing. It's one of hanging out in a place where you can tell that folks are broken, but they love each other. And they're reaping. They have a heart for evangelism. They're out here in a harvest. They're, they're reaching for souls. They're, they're regularly harvesting, reaching to, to get the lost. They have a heart not just for evangelism, but a heart for edification. And there are churches that I've been in in my past that are all about evangelism. And they don't grow the saints. They don't mature them. And they just stay babies sitting around in diapers and whining and crying and complaining all the time about what the pastor or the, or the leaders or the, the staff needs to do. And, and, and we need to be people who bless, but people who instruct, people who show the way, who demonstrate and show, look, you were brought into this place. You didn't just happenstance. It wasn't just a coincidence. You walked in and got a part of this field. God brought you providentially and sovereignly into this field right here. Because the local church all over the world is the place where Boaz is ruling and reigning because he is sovereign, he is Lord, he is Savior over the hearts of these people in this field. Come on, somebody. It's not just about evangelism. It's not just about edification. It's both. I want you to grow up. I want your needs to be met. But I want you to remember you're here for a purpose because the local church is the only organization on the planet that exists for the needs of people that haven't even become a part of it yet. Did you hear what I just said? The local church is the only organization, the really organism on the planet that exists for the needs of those who don't even know what it is about yet. 
Yes, we're here to be blessed. We're here to be blessed because we're, we're called to walk out of here and not just stay blessed, but to be a blessing to the world out there. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers. Everybody say the Holy Spirit. Because who's in charge of the reapers? We're all called to get in the field and reap, to be evangelists, to be instant in season, to have our testimony, to be prepared, to be ready to give an answer to every man who asks us the reason of the hope that is in us with gentleness and reverence, with meekness and fear, the King James says. I'm called to be an ambassador, to represent, to, 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 to represent Christ to the world. When I represent God, I represent the Lord. Hallelujah. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered. Everybody say, the Holy Spirit says she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, Ruth ain't afraid to work. How many of you know if you've got a little bit of work ethic in you and you have some trust of God in you, it's amazing what the Lord can do. If you can just get a couple of nickels to rub together, God can multiply and put favor and grace on your business, on your idea, on your job. He can bring provision. He can meet your needs so that you don't just have something to eat, but you have something in excess, something in surplus, something of the abundant life. Come on, somebody. Everybody say abundance. Hallelujah. Ruth. Ruth ain't afraid to work. She's not just sitting around waiting on the Lord, saying, well, I just don't feel led to do that. <laughs> I knew a friend a few years ago who carried a little lead bullet in his, his coat pocket, and he would pull it out. And it was a little bitty tiny saran wrap little you know, thing that you'd pull across. And he says, here, you want to feel lead? Here's some lead. I'll hear, here, feel, feel this lead. There's things you don't have to wait to feel led on because the Scripture clearly commands us. Come on, somebody. That's a rabbit I'm not going to chase. Here we go. Verse 8. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. You need to, people, you need to understand your purpose and commitment are tied to a particular field. You can't just get out here as a southern Christian and just say, Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. I want my special order. I don't want that kind of preaching. You know, where, where you can go to you, the Burger King Christians, where you can have it your way. How many of you know we need men and women in the pulpits that are committed to the clear preaching of the Word of God that will edify us and that will correct us and will exhort and stir us up and challenge us and will comfort us when we're broken and will bring conviction when we're wrong and will heal us and bring us back and restore us to right relationship with the Lord. Come on, somebody. We need every bit of that. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. I, I, I don't even have time to go into that because it would take me the rest of the morning. Verse 10, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? You know, this is the real work of grace. When every one of us wakes up to realize that God set his love on me and he is a good, good father. And we've all heard stories. We've heard these just nightmarish stories. And some of us have literally been beaten 
to a pulp spiritually in churches that give us this idea that God is just this fire-breathing, almost a Zeus-like mythological God who's got to be appeased constantly, who is ticked off all the time, who is ready to just blow your life into oblivion. And we grow up with that religious, non-biblical idea, thinking that God, who is our Father and is crazy about us, is constantly angry and peeved. When you hear that kind of sin consciousness preaching constantly, guess what you do? You go out all week long and you live in fear and you reproduce the fruit of the seed that got planted in you on Sunday. You don't walk in the righteousness of Christ, but you just go on sinning because after all, we're all going to sin a little bit every day. That's what you're told. Well, yeah, that may be true, but my goodness, that's not the focus. I have an advocate. What did 1 John 2 says? If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You can fix it, honey. You don't have to stay in that mess. You don't have to be bound in a pattern of sin because Jesus came to deliver you and set you free from it. He loves you right where you are, but thank God He loves you too much to leave you right where you are. Verse 11, Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. See, Jesus is never without knowing what's going on in your life. He knows the intricate details, Ruth, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Here's the text, message text this morning, verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Too often when we preach grace and make it central, folks hear what we're not saying. Grace, many times folks hear, okay, you can't earn it, and they associate you can't earn it with, okay, there's no work at all then. And I want you to understand that grace is never opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And those are attitudes. Grace is not opposed to action. As a matter of fact, Paul said, by your grace, I have labored. I have worked. By your grace, I have done what you've called me to do. Because grace is not only unmerited favor, grace is also operational power. What did we sing this morning? I, th I think it was in Freedom when, when Aaron sang and she says, uh, by your grace, you've not only covered my sin, that's the unearned, unmerited part, but by your grace, you caused me to win. That's the operational power, the working of His mighty power on the inside of us. See, it's both of those things. And unfortunately, in the Bible Belt South, we only are taught the first, and we never hear about the latter. Yes, He covers my sin, but also He gives me power and strength and grace to win over my addictions, over my bad habits, over the stuff that has captured me, over the stuff that has humiliated me because He's made me new. Come on, somebody. i got to move. So there is always a reward for obedience, for doing the right thing. Don't ever stop and think, oh, well, it doesn't matter what I do because I'm covered by grace. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it sure does matter what you do. There are always implications. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. You can get forgiveness for it. You can have eternal security in heaven. You can know the penalty of the sin has been paid by Jesus, but you may have to reap an earthly consequence for some stupid bad decision. Don't think that grace just erases everything. No, it'll correct you and it'll strengthen you and it'll give you the ability to carry out whatever you have to walk through to fix it. Don't shout me down. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. 
though I am not one of your servants. Oh, if the Southern Churchianity could ever get a grip on this and stop all this constant hellfire brimstone, angry God preaching, to realize in the New Testament, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Not the anger. There's not a person on the planet who has not come into contact with the awareness of the wrath of God for the future. But it still doesn't move people to change. It's when they find out that that powerful God loved them so much to reach out to them in their struggle and get down underneath their struggle and the kindness of God leads them to repentance. Do we read our Bibles? And so we understand that. And this is what Ruth says, you've spoken kindly to me when there's nothing in me that deserves it because I'm a foreigner. I'm not part of the chosen people. I'm not part of Israel. I was raised in Moab. I'm, I'm part of a people who incestuously, drunkenly turn from God. You know what? It doesn't matter about your past when God sets His love on you and He speaks to you. Maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was sex. Maybe it was thievery. Maybe it was this or that or the other. Any number of things that you can think about. Jesus says, you know what? None of that matters because I'm going to make you a whole new creation in my image and because of my name and because of my blood poured out for you. Come on, somebody. And I love this because she's not just hearing kind words, but she's about to be invited to sit down at the table with Boaz. She's going to eat a meal. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. That's literally a picture right there of communion, of the broken bread, the shed blood of Jesus. Bread and wine right there. She's having communion with the Lord. She's met her heavenly Boaz. This is Jesus to us. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. Oh, I love that. That's, 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 that's word that's been tested in the fire. That's bread that'll feed you, and it'll, uh, it'll, it'll, what, it's wonder bread. Come on, somebody. It'll grow your body in seven strong ways, or whatever that old thing was. You remember that old wonder commercial? Well, Jesus is the wonder bread from heaven. Come on. It's grain that's been roasted. It's been through the fire. Y'all getting anything out of this? And she ate until she was satisfied. I love it. Did you get a plenty, Ruth? Oh, yes, more than enough. Give me a take-home box because I got something for Naomi. <laughs> Not a doggy bag, but give me a take-home box. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men. Now, get this. Boaz said, let her glean even among the sheaves. Now, this is before it's even been touched. He even says, and this is my next point, abounding grace upon grace. This is verse 16. Look at this. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Now this is one time when I love the King James better because it says pull out handfuls on purpose. Everybody say on purpose. God, when you can get into Boaz's field and you can learn to come and sit down at the table with him, he will tell his reapers, let me just tell you, if you will get your mind on what will make God's heart happy, he'll see to it that your heart is made happy and you have everything you need and abundance. If you can get in a local church where they speak kindly to one another, where they say, the Lord bless you, and the Lord bless you, and Boaz shows up and he blesses the people with his presence. Come on, help me this morning. And when the conversation and the exchange is one that is about worship and it's about grace and it's not out of anger, but it's out of a compelling love that is a good, good father who loves us and he says, this is who you are and this is who I am. 
Oh, hallelujah. He will tell the reapers, I want you to yank out some big handfuls on purpose. Dump it out there on the ground. And then when she grabs it, don't rebuke her. Because the law provided for the poor. But this is what, this is what Jesus does. This is what Boaz does, our heavenly Boaz. He doesn't just say, okay, you stay back there because the law accuses you. He says, no, this is grace. The law provides for you to have the seconds, the leftovers. But I'm telling you now that you're coming into my house and part of my family, I'm going to let you right up in here where the good stuff is. You're going to get the best fruit. You're going to reach into it and get some handfuls on purpose. You're going to start walking in some abundance of the blessing of God. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all are acting this morning. Come on. You get in a good local church and you stay there. And that's the difficult thing because we all have an opportunity to get offended because reapers can tick you off. Because reapers have bad days. And those in charge of the reapers have bad days. And every excuse and everybody we want to blame... They're just like us. And if we could learn to walk in the same grace that we've been given and forgive. Come on, somebody help me preach this morning. Get in a good local church and stay there and discover your purpose. God will see to it that your needs will be met and then some. Oh, i got to finish this. This is such a good, good, good word. Now look at the next thing she did. She beat out the grain. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned. What was about an eaf of barley? Look, this is my point. Put it up for me. We have to beat this word out. We've got to live it. We've got to wrestle with it. Put, it. put up the point. I want them to see it. Nope, that's the next one. One before it. Beat out this grain. Everybody read it with me. Beat out the grain until it's practical and experiential. Don't just go home and just say amen to the word, but wrestle with it. Pray over it and go, God, make this alive in my life. God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me. I'm hungry. I want to be like Ruth. I want to be submissive and hunger for the Word of God and for the things of the Spirit in my life. Don't just go home leaving high because there was a good mood in the room. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. This is about me digging down into and planting some seed in your life that you see God begin to wrestle with you and where you are and who you are and changing your identity about who you thought you were. Until you begin to wake up and realize that you're a child of the king. And king's kids don't act like that. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. That's what my mama used to tell me. She said, son, you're a smith and smiths don't act that way. I don't care if your friends do that. You're not, you're not them. Just if they all go jump off a cliff, are you going to jump off one too? Come on, all the, you've all heard that. No, 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 you're not going to act like that because you were raised in this house. The Lord's the Lord of this house. I mean, that's what my mama told me. She said, know who you are. Don't you forget out who you are when you get out there. Now, she wasn't talking spiritual things. She was talking about not misrepresenting dad and mom. How many of you know we've got a heavenly father we don't need to misrepresent to the world? Man, keep it real. Everybody say, keep it real. All right, here we go. Two and I'm finished. Real ministry happens out of the outflow of abundance. You want, to know, you want to know why you're feeling something, sensing something this morning? Because I've been before the Lord every day this week, wrestling, beating out this whole chapter, going, God, open this word. Let it be clear and plain to your people. Work it in my heart. Work it in my life. Wrestle with me, O oh God. Change my attitudes. Lord, let grace abound more. Thank you that you've covered my sin. But God, I thank you that you equip me and empower me to win in every way. Real ministry happens out of the overflow of abundance. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left, left over after being satisfied. And you know what? 
when you leave this place, you ought to be so full that you sit back and you, you don't just get a big old belch on spiritually, but you have so much energy working on the inside of you that you've got something that you can give when you leave this place, that you can take home with you. Maybe to a loved one who doesn't know the Lord. Maybe to a spouse who's not sitting beside you in the service this morning. That doesn't mean you go home and preach to them how they ought to change. That means you go home and love them just like they are. And you speak kindness to them and you bless them. Doesn't mean you even, even use religious or churchy language at all. It means you just come alongside and encourage and strengthen. And all of a sudden they just see a joy and a countenance and a love, an unconditional love. And they start going, what's happened to you? You know, it's amazing what God can do when we start actually doing what the Word says do. Don't shout me down. Last one and I'm finished. Here we go. Covenant finishes what it starts. Lord, help us to learn that in, in the Southern Bible Belt. Covenant finishes what it starts. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Oh, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours and one of our kinsmen redeemers. Goel, that's that word right there. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Boaz has caught Ruth's eye, and Ruth is hungry. She's, she's made a profession of faith. She's turned from her past. She's decided to follow Jesus. She's been water baptized. She's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And now she's actually getting into a local church where she's being fed the Word. And the Word is changing her, working on her, encouraging her. She feels blessed. She's, she never knew that she could feel this kind of grace and this kind of love from God because her idea of who God was was always this angry Zeus-like figure that was always filled with wrath. And so Ruth now is walking in abundance. She had never seen it before, but now she has rest. She has abundance. She's met the one in whose eyes she has found favor, and she's been in his presence, and she's got to have more. She's falling in love, and the story will pick up and get more exciting next week as we talk about the romance of redemption.